Accidents are caused by driver behavior. So this is the action that you and I take behind the wheel of the car. So at the time of driving, what decisions are you making and what actions are you taking? And that's really what effect causes accidents. So traditionally, insurance companies rely a lot on rating factors as a proxy to risk factors. And they obviously analyze data and claims experiences. And in the end, you get a price based on averages. So we all know that the average male drives worse than the average female. I hope you know that if you don't. But what about that poor one guy who actually drives better? I'm sure there are a couple. And what about those females that drive worse? We know there are lots of those. So is it fair that they pay the same premium as everybody else? And the answer is obviously no. And to reduce the cross subsidization to get the competitive edge to price risk appropriately, insurers are adopting telematics. So today we're covering two topics. The one is from EY, and they're doing, talking about telematics and how it's disrupting the motor insurance uh, business in South Africa. And then after that, Annette's going to be speaking on the use of cognitive mapping in user-based insurance. Each topic's going to get 20 minutes, and then after that, we'll open the floor for, 20, for, uh, for another uh, 10 minutes or so for questions to the panel as a whole. Uh, so keep your questions till then. So let me just introduce the first paper. Uh, Sumeri and Covey are responsible for short-term insurance within the Africa Actuarial Services Practice at EY. They work across the industry in various capacities, doing everything from helping companies to formulate strategy to more traditional actuarial work like pricing, reserving, and capital modeling. Covey, now an associate director at EY, also worked at Quindium before joining EY. Sumeri, a director in the practice prior to working at EY, worked at Swiss Re and co-founded Quindium Consulting. She was also involved in developing the Hollard Pay As You Drive offering, which was the first usage-based insurance product in South Africa that used telematics. Kavi and Sumeri have both taken a personal interest in telematics, given its potential impact on the motor industry in South Africa, the motor insurance industry. They are part of EY's global telematics working group, which coordinates the firm's work in this space. The firm is currently active in telematics in 20 countries, including USA, UK, Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, China, and Italy. As part of this working group, they've also conducted a local industry survey over the past three months focusing on telematics in personal lines motor insurance, where they interviewed 13 local insurers and one telematics provider and have informally spoken to most people looking at this space in South Africa. The survey asked industry for its view on many aspects of telematics, including where the market is likely to go. So in today's talk, they share a part of the survey results and some further insights, insights onto the topic. So I'd like to call forward Sumeri and Kavi. Thanks. to be here today. Uh, I think both Kavi and I are very excited to talk to you today. And we thought it would be appropriate to start this session by paraphrasing something that Steve Jobs actually said. He said that once in a while a product comes along that totally revolutionizes everything. It reinvents the way that we do things completely and occasionally reshapes the industry around it. Now, all of us probably know that he was talking about the iPhone, right? Now, there's lots of other examples that's exactly like this. Uber, that has totally reshaped the taxi industry. If I think about it, people like me, I, I would never have used a taxi before. Firstly, I don't like haggling about the price. And to be quite honest, I, I used to feel quite unsafe. Now, I travel down to Cape Town. I don't even hire a vehicle. I, I just Uber. So I think in hindsight, and... and it feels as though it's so easy to identify these things. 
long before they start. But I think the reality of it is, a lot of times, these things are not that easy to identify. For example, when direct insurers started in this industry, uh, before they start disrupting, it's not easy to see that that's what they're going to do. And I think most of us in, in this room, when the direct insurers launched, I don't think we would have predicted how big or how profitable they, they would be today. Now, if you look on the screen here, you'll see some quotes from both local people as, as, as well as international people. And it's fairly obvious that they feel that telematics is going to disrupt the insurance industry. Um, and that it is going to change the way that insurers actually engage with their customers. But maybe even more importantly, it will change the way how customers think about insurance and, and how they make their choices around insurance. Some of them go even further to say that it will allow new entrants into a market that has previously been very difficult to break into and could potentially unseat some of our long-established players if they don't follow suit. It's precisely because of this threat that we've taken an interest uh, in the question, how disruptive could telematics be for the South African insurance industry and for most personal lines motor in particular? We obviously have uh, international markets and their developments as a reference point, but to fully explore this question, we've spent the past couple of months uh, running a local survey which looked at some of the key questions around telematics and allowed us to collect both qualitative and quantitative data uh, in the local context. I think it's fair to say that there's no consensus as to where this is going. And it's also fairly obvious, uh, if you look at the responses of the local players, that how big telematics is, is going to be is not obvious to them either. You have some of them that are busy launching pilots, some of them are close to actually launching UBI or telematics products, while there's others that are quite cynical still and uh, are not doing much, uh, sitting on the sidelines and, and taking a lot more of a, a wait-and-see approach. Now, we're going to take the next 15 minutes um, to take you through uh, what we have seen um, both locally and abroad, sharing some of the conversations that we had and uh, hopefully trying to cut a little bit through some of the hype so that you, each one of you can start forming a view of where this is likely to go. We'll start by looking at some of the key benefits as to why an insurer would actually launch a telematics product. And I think both locally and internationally, everyone seems to agree that more accurate rating is one of the key benefits of these products. This might be because uh, despite the sophistication of modern motor rating, uh, many of the rating factors that insurers currently use are still proxies uh, for the true underlying risk uh, and exposure. And insurers typically uh, still have a very fuzzy view of what the true risk uh, that they're taking on is, uh, especially at inception. Yeah, and uh, I think despite all the advances that we've made in personal lines motor rating over the last 15 years, it still takes insurers a couple of years to get to the true risk rate that they have to charge for the individual insured. Now, the view is that telematics will allow us to actually speed up that process, that we can get from point A to point B a lot quicker within a matter of months. And, and why is that? It's because of the large amount of information that we will be collecting very quickly. And that information will also be on, on non-claimants. And I think that's one of the key things. There's also a controversial view that, uh, in fact, telematics is still in an early adopter phase. And it's still benefiting from quite a large self-selection effect. As more entrants enter the market and competition increases, uh, rating sophistication may need to increase along with it, especially in being able to differentiate between different shades of good and average drivers, and not just identify the really poor drivers as current rating models do. And so, so as things develop, what's also quite likely is that um, the benefit of rating uh, using telematics may diminish over time. Uh, for example, when the, in the UK market, when direct insurers first entered the market, 
there was quite a large advantage um, to, to being able to cherry pick using GLMs the good risks out of the, out of the pool. Um, but now that a lot of the competition is caught up, that, that benefit is much, much less, uh, though it's still a requirement in order to play in that market. Now, the flip side to that is, of rating is, of course, the ability to influence uh, the way that people drive. And in the international markets, when, when we had those discussions, that was one of the key benefits that was identified of launching a telematics product. Interestingly enough, in the local market, people weren't as, as bullish about this, although they still did identify it as a potential benefit of telematics. This may be because it's actually quite hard to influence uh, customers' behavior. In fact, in a recent uh, telematics uh, conference earlier this year, Discovery Insure actually mentioned that the improvements in driving behavior that they saw off the back of their driving game were temporary. And once the game ended, a lot of people actually reverted back to uh, their previous driving behavior. Um, this might be because people lose interest. So you either have to uh, keep them engaged which is quite hard, and uh, social media techniques might be useful there, or you have to engage with them when they misbehave, for example, uh, by pushing notifications to them uh, on a harsh acceleration event. But like one of the CEOs in the market of a telematics insurer uh, mentioned, that takes all the fun out of driving. So I, I think the question of whether insurers will be able to influence driving on a sustainable basis um, will, will remain open, even for, for the players who have already launched. They're not clear. So there was general consensus that if you are building a telematic strategy, basing that strategy on, on rating and your ability to improve driver behavior alone wouldn't really make sense. Um, now, in the South African market, where the size of the pie for motor insurance is not growing, uh, margins are under constant pressure for most of the players anyway. It's probably then not so surprising that some of our uh, participants identified improvements in retention and through that improving your margin and, and also growing your book as, as one of the things that, that they see uh, telematics could bring to the table. Interestingly, uh, some of the international players are not as bullish about retention as a key benefit. And that might be because they've been at it for a lot longer and have uh, learned a few things and their markets might be a little bit more uh, mature as well. I think the, the, the reason that many people saw uh, these products as being able to create stickiness uh, is because firstly the, the, the product itself is, is quite unique and, and generally the first adopters uh, or first movers, there aren't uh, similar products in the market. Um, but also it allows the customer to build up a history uh, with the insurer over time, prove that they're in fact a good driver and earn lower premiums um, as, a, as a result of that. Uh, and then it actually becomes quite difficult to uh, find similarly priced insurance or similarly cheap insurance elsewhere in the market. But in fact, when you unpack that a little bit more, uh, what we see internationally is, is in fact the telematics data and the scores themselves are a lot more transferable um, than once was first thought. Uh, you've got companies like uh, Confuse.com in the UK and Aggregator who already allow customers to uh, compare insurance products, already taking into account their, uh, their driving behavior. Obviously, then as more entrants have entered those markets, what we've seen also is the product uniqueness uh, diminishes over time and uh, the products, because they are substitute products that are available. Um, and it's easy enough for uh, those competitors or new entrants to offer a discount uh, based on another company's score. In fact, we've already seen an example of this uh, in the local market where some insurers are in fact offering sign-on discounts based on a good discovery insurer score. Okay, but before we can start worrying about keeping these guys, we have to get them, right, in the first place. And I think as insurance professionals, it's quite easy for us to be seduced by the sexiness and the newness of telematics. It is important to understand, though, that we are asking customers uh, that have been used to operate in a commoditized market to actually deal with a very complex product. And if we take a step away and out of uh, being uh, out of the insurance industry, most customers have no interest in insurance whatsoever. It's a grudge purchase. And you will ask, 
Will they get interested enough to actually engage with this complex product? Because how does things work at the moment? You phone your broker or, or you phone the call center, you give a little bit of information, and they give you a number of premiums, right? And you just pick the lowest one. Not once in this conversation do you talk about the benefits or how the product works or anything like that. Two days later, you get a mail in your inbox and, and there's your policy wording and you never engage with it, right? What are we asking them to do now? We're asking them to engage with a product where the premium could vary based on how you drive, where you drive, how much you drive. They have to download an app that they have to engage with. They have to install some device, they, uh, whether it's a beacon or a deep install. And... Um, I can talk from experience that when we launched, launched Pagey Drive, we totally underestimated, despite using interest groups, one, how difficult it would be for the call center to explain to people exactly how this product actually worked, and secondly, what people's reaction would be um, with a premium that varies month on month, right? Next month, you might pay double what you're paying now. Like one of my friends said, this whole idea makes no sense to him. Because the reason he purchases insurance is because it allows him to budget for his insurance losses every month. So coming up with an offering um, that is actually easy to understand, um, but still compelling enough to, uh, in, to hook the customers, given the complexities of these products, is actually still quite a key challenge. And uh, we don't think anyone has really cracked it yet. In fact, even if you look towards uh, some of the international markets, what we see is insurers hooking the customers with uh, simple marketing messages around lower premiums and saving money, really. Um, but then needing to go on further, um, perhaps on the website or when the customer calls in to actually explain the product in a bit more detail, which is a lot more complicated. So, of course, these complex products come with complex operations as well. And one of the consistent messages that we got coming through in talking to industry was, uh, and from those people who've actually launched, was that they underestimated the operational complexity when they originally started with this. From processing the data, uh, which can be as much as five gigabytes uh, per customer per year, to requiring uh, large teams to, to handle complaints around malfunctioning technology or, uh, in, or, or d damage to vehicles from um, botched installations. All of these things make uh, running these products a lot more complicated than a normal mo motor insurance product. And, and for the more established uh, insurers in the market, integrating what is really cutting-edge technology with uh, creaking legacy systems is an additional challenge. Of course, with the complexity comes cost. Um, and in the past, uh, a lot of these devices, especially the ones with um, advanced sensors like gyroscopes and accelerometers, uh, were prohibitively expensive. But what we've seen in the last couple of years is the cost plummet. And uh, in fact, these days, uh, some of those devices are as cheap as tens of rands um, per month. Uh, and furthermore, a number of insurers have actually moved to uh, using smartphones, uh, which, which sometimes is even a cheaper solution. Of course, there were also the setup costs of these products um, and all of the development that needs to be done and the system integration. Um, but all of that really depends on uh, the environment in which you uh, are implementing the product and it tends to vary largely from insurer to insurer. So I think by this stage, all of you guys think this is sounding quite negative, right? Why the hell are we even looking at it? But there is definite consensus. If you implement telematics in the correct way, that it can provide you with significant cost savings in every element of your value chain. Uh, we've seen some of it <laughs> being used in the local industry already, maybe a bit controversially, where one of the players that have launched a telematics product actually uses the information uh, when the claimant phones in to check whether they've been speeding at the time that they, they actually <laughs> had the accident. And if they have, they will have no, they, they will have no cover. So it's not surprising then uh, that we see that uh, using the telematics information um, to make your operations more efficient and to save costs, particularly in, in the element of uh, sort of reducing fraud, was ranked quite highly uh, among the local uh, insurance industry. 
Um, but of course you have to be quite careful because there are things like the regulations and, and the Poppy Act and customers themselves tend to be uh, quite sensitive around uh, privacy issues. Privacy concerns is definitely one of the biggest things that has been affecting UBI adoption rates in, in places like the States and, and in Europe. Interestingly enough, in, in, the, in the local market, uh, people seem to feel less worried about privacy concerns. And one of the main reasons they cited was that most of us already have tracking devices in our vehicles, given levels of crime we experience here. Not often an issue insurance uh, is also the issue of intellectual property. Um, in fact, what we've seen in the local market is that uh, Discovery Insurers, in fact, patented a number of aspects around telematics in South Africa. They basically followed in the footsteps of uh, Progressive in the USA. It's not clear as, as to exactly how much of an impediment uh, this, this could be, though we have seen a couple of insurers in the local market, in fact, delay the progress of their telematics programs to basically investigate the legal risk around these patents. Um, Progressive in the USA did take quite an aggressive stance uh, over the last 20 years, though. Now, it's, I think it's interesting that I think we should try and pull everything together, and it'll be interesting to see where, where people think this will actually go. So over the last five to seven years, as we said, we've seen a, a couple of people launch telematics products. We've spoken about Paisley Drive that Hollard launched, but there's also guys like Oakhurst, MUA, and of course, most notably, Discovery that has launched. And although some of them have had some success, I think it is probably fair to say that their share of that private motor pie uh, has not been significant enough to start off with to actually affect the UBI, UBI adoption rate. So when we asked the market uh, where they thought this was all, all going, um, as you can see, we got uh, quite a range of responses. Um, but what was clear this is that there seemed to be two camps. And the first camp seemed to be a little bit more conservative, basically seeing telematic really as a niche product, perhaps looking at certain uh, market segments, um, but ultimately never reaching more than about a 20% adoption rate, even over sort of a time horizon of, of 15 years. The other camp uh, seemed to be a lot more bullish, uh, though there were a, a few less of them. Um, they really saw telematics going mainstream, and they're the ones in red over there. The, the first camp are the ones in grey. And um, the, the, the second camp basically saw telematics get to maybe an adoption rate of around about 70% over, over 15 years. What was interesting for us, though, was that uh, the companies who have actually launched telematics uh, products in the market tended to fall into the first camp, um, while some of the telematics providers that themselves that we spoke to tended to fall into the second. So you can also see from this graph that, that most uh, of the guys, irrespective of where they think it's going to end up with, predicted fairly flat growth or, or almost no growth in the next three years. Now, when you, when you look at disruptors, disruptors normally tend to hockey stick in, in their adaption rates. Now, a potential way that, that could, this could happen in the South African market is if we got one of the big players to actually launch a telematics product, and you get then the rest of the market following suit in a defensive action because they don't want to be selected against. Now, 15 years is a long time, and as you guys saw right at Right at the beginning, there's a lot of things changing in this world around us, right? That could totally uh, affect this. For example, I mean, driverless cars could make motor insurance in the way that, that it uh, exists at the moment totally obsolete. But bringing it back to uh, the issue today, um, I mean, what's clear is, is, is that there's quite a range of views as to you know, where this is going to go. And in fact, taking a step back, um, you know, when you contrast uh, some of the views that we've seen in the industry and some of the th things that we've highlighted going on in international markets and around the world, uh, with some of the, the quotes that we started this presentation with around uh, the potential disruptive effect of, of telematics, I mean, there, there is quite a divide there. Um, and it begs the question, you know, um, why is there, are there th this range of views and, and, you know, where is all this going? Um, and the answer might have something to do with the fact that uh, telematics as a value proposition 
tends to vary from insurer to insurer or person to person. and really depends on your market position and the particular challenges um, that you have. There's also, of course, uh, the element of the dark horse, which we mentioned in the beginning, which is really the new entrants. Um, I mean, they weren't part of our survey. Uh, they don't have the legacy uh, systems or you know, complex distribution networks um, to sort of deal with. Uh, and, and, of and, so, and so, you know, their entrance, entrance is uh, a real threat um, to the industry and the adoption rate. But looking, and you, of course, no doubt have your own view as to, as, as to where this is all going to go. And it's, it's going to be very interesting to see um, who turns out to be correct. Uh, we don't obviously have a crystal ball, um, but we'll leave you with this uh, parting thought, um, and it's something that we said in the beginning, and that's if telematics is truly going to be disruptive uh, in the South African motor industry, um, regardless of the adoption rate, it's going to change fundamentally the way that consumers engage with their insurance, and it will change completely the way insurers have to do business, and that's going to be an interesting future for us all. So, uh, both of Kavi and I really enjoyed being here. Like I said, nice to see everyone. And I just really wanted to say thank you for, for giving us some of your time. You'll see on the slide there, that just gives a, a little bit uh, more detailed information on two of the questions that we asked uh, in the survey. Uh, as Philippa said, we'll stand over questions for the end. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, EY. Um, I'm so being punished for something that I've done in my previous life because sitting here as a marketing actuary of one of the largest telematics providers in the market, insurance market, I'm struggling not to be able to say anything. But I learned a lot about ethics yesterday, so I will just do my job. Okay. So um, the next speaker is Annette Potgieter. Um, I'm just going to introduce her. She's got actually three co-paper uh, writers. Uh, Daniel Stone's in Australia, so he's not here. Daniel Malachi's in the front, um, and her CV reads like this. Annette is the, telematic, uh, sorry, the te technical director of Cognitive Systems. Uh, she, manages the, she manages the research and development team that develops systems to observe, learn, learn from, and act upon behavioral dynamics in complex systems in big data environments, as it happens. The team develops in-stream cognitive computing, empowering systems to adapt in real time to complex big data environments such as market streams and complex event streams in the emerging Internet of Things. Annette has a PhD in computer science, specializing in artificial intelligence, bio-inspired computing, and complexity theory. Mining connective intelligence, these are cause-effect patterns that are not found in history but rather in how the parts interact among themselves and their environment. Examples are rare and extreme risks in stock market, risk anomalies in insurance, and behavior anomalies in sensor streams from smart sensor networks. And just quickly to introduce Daniel as well, who's sitting in the front row here. Daniel is a director and business development manager of Cognitive Systems. His main focus is to build the business of delivering unrivaled complex systems in big data environments. Their systems are characterized by emergent global behaviors that are not easily predicted from the knowledge only of individual behaviors, for example, price fluctuations in markets, climate change, and the human immune system. Drawing from his background of a BSc in, immune, in immunology, he applies his knowledge of the ability of immune systems to distinguish self from other to develop cognitive systems, business frameworks around complex systems that mitigate risk by providing actionable insights in anomalies to business leaders. So that's quite a mouthful, and, um, and, I, and you better concentrate during this part. Okay, so Annette, if you can come and talk about the use of cognitive mapping in user-based insurance. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> our um, our technology is disruptive. It's, um, it's a new um, kind of technology that is uh, totally distributed, and um, I will... I don't know how to slide it once. So, um, basically, I'm going to discuss with you um, how the whole Internet of Things. Telematics is currently the first um, real industry-proven, um, most major component of the Internet of Things. But the Internet of Things is, is here. It's with us. There's the connected car. We're moving into um, um, farms. Everything is connected. We've got smart buildings. We've got 
um, everything being connected, everything talking to each other, it is here. It's not, it's not a pipe dream, it's here. So we are basically um, developing software that can in real time harness um, the insights in these streams to give insights and context to um, the user. So in insurance, um, the new insurer must be a digital insurer to basically adopt to the market drivers. So what we have here is um, the, the traditional way it was done, but then all this te technology that is now, um, it's, it's, it's takeoff is faster than we could think. It's not in future, it's actually happening as we speak. And it's, it's going to really affect insurers and um, to basically start taking into account the Internet of Things is a very important step in um, mitigating risk in very complex environments. So what the Internet of Things bring to the insurer is to make, bring context of the environment to whatever is happening in the environment. So Internet of Things are um, low-cost devices that are, will um, enable things to communicate with each other. Telematics um, is already the cause of already talking to each other. In some of our tele telematics partners, the cause are even talking to each other. Some cause that are, have RFID devices and some others have um, GPS devices. So what will um, actually be added with the Internet of Things is context. Who, who is the person? What is the profile of the person? How did this, something happen? When, where, what? So um, if you basically look at how we need to harvest this information is, I just want to, um, a little. So basically, um, what we have there is the whole, um, um, the, the all inter interconnected things. It needs to be um, 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 intelli intelligently, um, the streams have to go into and harvest it and be presented back to, in, in action, to produce actionable insights to the insurer. So where do we fit in? Um, we have developed the um, uh, engine that can basically do that part of the function to drive the um, insurance, um, to give insights, actionable and perishable insights to the insurance industry. So I'm just, um, I don't want to go too much into detail, but I want to give you uh, just a slight overview of the artificial mind engine. And um, um, what is it? It is basically an integrated suite of agent-based components. Now this is disruptive. It's distributed technology where an agent is a software component that basically monitors individual entities. In cars, I mean, <laughs> um, following um, the, the, the um, behavior of individuals um, in the Internet of Things. So it's in, in, in a state-of-the-art streaming cognition engine. So it empowers the things in the Internet of Things, and it makes the environment and objects able to behave as individual entities and to take intelligent um, decisions on behalf of the user. So this is a mouthful. I will take you in the next slides through some examples of how we um, use this technology um, in, in our um, application. I'm going to start with cognitive mapping <laughs> because this really, in the current insurance um, models, um, having um, location awareness of uh, things that happen and risk is very important. So cognitive mapping um, um, is based on the whole thing that a cognitive map, it, it um, actually um, um, it consists of a, um, the whole mental activity. The previous speakers did say that people can't change their behavior. And that is really true. <laughs> you, know, you set up a cognitive map of how you move in your environment, and it starts getting entrenched in the way you do things. You go to school, <laughs> take your kids to school. Doesn't matter if it's the optimal way to drive there, <laughs> it's the way you drive, I mean. So you've got a very distinct behavior 
that profiles what you do and how you interact with the environment. So what has been neglected until now in risk models is really the impact of the environment on how, um, um, how risk actually happens. And in what I'm going to concentrate a bit on is the whole um, bringing in location into, into risk models. So cognitive mapping has, um, in architecture, the way it's designed, the way people design buildings, they take into account how people interact with the environment. So it's, it's been encoded in architecture, urban design, as paths, nodes, edges. <laughs> now, how do people interact with amenities um, it's, and in order to optimal design cities? And with the Internet of Things moving into smart cities, technology is coming together with um, architecture, and um, there is a lot of value to be taken out of um, the way that the cities has been built and actually integrating it into um, um, the technology and telematics. So let's just start with um, a cognitive map. So what we do in our technology is we maintain um, cognitive maps in, um, from devices that have our location aware. So what is a cognitive map then? It, it captures where, so it's the landmarks, Roots, nodes, edges, and zones. When? When did something happen? So to bring a temporal aspect into, into um, your models. How? I mean, how did it happen? So we've got location away, where sensor readings. I mean, is someone always driving fast? You know he's always driving over a certain um, place. Um, place. Is the, what is his behavior? What is his um, behavior with respect to his um, senses that reaches speed, his acceleration, all those things? So the um, local location where um, sensor reading and then integrating it into cause-effect models so that you can start reasoning about how someone's behavior is normally and bringing in the location where it is so that you can easily, not easily, <laughs> but learn over time, adapt to changes in his behavior. Just for example, if a, star is a car is stolen, <laughs> the profile, the cognitive map changes totally. Suddenly somebody is just speeding out, out of the way he normally does. His location to to totally changes. <laughs> he just, um, his, his whole, profile of what he does, how he does it, is just totally different. So how we built our um, graphical cognitive maps is basically, um, I'm putting the, um, the little, um, those, those are just um, little representations of areas and suburbs. So it is basically cause-effect patterns of how people, um, these um, sources, destinations, um, what they do, um, on, 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 on ways that they travel, what the risks are, on the, on the ways from feedback, adaptive feedback, from risks that really occurred. So we mine probabilistic relationships from using spatial behavior networks, where our nodes are points of interest. We've got ways and waypoints, and our edges are trips, so source destination maps with risks. And we do, then do in-stream cognition, the as, where, when, and how, to, um, that which we then continuously monitor for um, anomalies, so that there's early, early warning of um, um, anomalous behavior, so that you can um, feedback. And the most important aspect is the adaptive feedback, because if there was really a risk event that happened, it has to be fed back, so that you can learn what was the context that led to this um, anomalous behavior? So next time that you start seeing the same indicators that was now anomalous, you can know what is the probability of a similar event happening again. So it's machine learning, artificial intelligence, learning over time of how things happen, but bringing in the geospatial um, mapping. Cognitive maps are very individual. 
It's how people interact with their surroundings. It is totally different for each person. I touched on it before, but everyone has got his own cognitive map. And if you can actually um, automatically understand somebody's cognitive map, you get actionable insights into anomalous behaviors with respect to these um, um, maps that they maintain of how they um, interact with the environment. And what we then building are maps of individual behaviors so that we can identify anomalies early. But now, the smart cities have come along. <laughs> it's, um, there's already a smart city built um, in, in, um, that they're building here in the Waterfall Park. <laughs> it is, it's starting to happen. We um, are working with um, large consulting firms that are, is upgrading the um, urban, um, urban um, cities to um, actually use technology to make our urban cities smarter. The smart metering systems, the smart cities are here sooner than <laughs> what you will think. And already there are um, being measures put in place to, the mon uh, to, environment, to monitor things in the environment. Smart bridges that people put monitors on. Now, a bridge is a risk. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it can collapse on cars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, by putting actually into, into the things in the environment, also some smart sensor networks, you can add all those to your risk profiles. So yeah, I've just shown a few things in the smart cities that will add to the risk. If you, it's the smart surveillance cameras, basically, and um, the smart infrastructure, smart transportation. All these things are happening. And if you can start harnessing it in your um, risk models, it will really give you a good competitive advantage. So why I'm bringing in the environment? The environment really determines behavior. There are crime attractors in the environment. There's places that people rather like to go and sit. I'm not um, criminals. <laughs> that they prefer to go and, um, and to conduct their crimes. And these activities change. It doesn't help to um, basically um, say there is a crime hotspot. You put up a pole, crime hotspot. <laughs> I mean, that is, will they go and sit right next to the hotspot and do their crime next time? They, they, it changes on an ongoing behavior, um, the behavior, but it changes um, its pattern. So the, um, I'm, I'm showing the little red stars as, it, um, as um, attractors in the past that people usually travel that are causing risk in the way, on their way to work, on their way to wherever they go, they are passing through risky areas. And by con um, continuously monitoring those, you can basically build it into your risk profiles, um, which can then be adaptive to, um, to um, adapt your premiums. So, as I said, <laughs> we do a lot of chaos theory. So, I'm, um, they, they are, that's what, I, uh, what I'm saying is the attractors are basically, um, it causes extreme events that you couldn't predict, you can't really predict when hijack is going to happen. But the probability, if you drive through a basin of attraction of a lot of, uh, where there's a lot of crime, then your risk of actually being hijacked is, 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 is there. So, I'm coming back to the bridge example. We, um, and by actually bringing the environmental factors also into your models um, and in the future with um, sensor-aware um, environmental structures, I mean, you could actually um, start mitigating risk that could have happened in the environment. We talk about perishable insights. It doesn't help with these insights to, if it, it wouldn't have helped after the fact that the bridge collapsed to have said, but it would have collapsed. <laughs> so, it must be this, it's, it's one of those insights you must understand it's going to happen and you must have enough data to be able to monitor it. And in this case, um, I'm just bringing it as an example of one of the cases that could be mitigated with smart sensors on, on bridges. So, actionable insights from the environment is um, right now there are um, risks in the environment, if this could be mapped and brought into your um, risk models, that, that will be very cool. 
and um, I touched on the importance of adaptive feedback. It doesn't help to actually have all these smart sensors doing their things, but you have to learn ongoing learning in vehicle telematics. Um, what, what, is, what is the feedback? Where did the, um, where did the incident really happen? Where was the vehicle stolen? What was the sequence of events that led to uh, hijacking? So the next time you start seeing the sequence of events happening, you know you can have an early warning that this is a hijack that is in process. So our cognitive mapping, um, the, the continuous monitoring of the environment and, and the behavior of the individuals, it's evolving all the time. And these insights are perishable. It doesn't help to actually go after the fact and analyze these models with beautiful statistics. It is too late. So you need to act with continuous monitoring and early warning to mitigate your risk. So therefore, the early warning of risk and most importantly, the adaptive feedback. What was the true causes of the risk? Why? So that next time you um, encounter that, um, early indicators that you can mitigate the risk even before it happens. And this can be used for reward schemes. And the Internet of Things really also brings to, to you the um, 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 way to talk to your client being uh, very customer-centric. That's all for me. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I'll open the floor for questions and maybe just quickly on what Annette said now. Um, about a year ago, I was running on the beach in Mauritius and got a phone call and said, uh, basically said, I think your car's being stolen. And I said, what? And I realized my husband was overseas and I said, I think you're right. And they said, well, based on the behavior of the car being driven very aggressively, something's probably happening. And I said, yes, go find the car. And then I realized my husband had actually taken the car for a service and it was a service team who were taking it for a joyride. They ended up sleeping in Krugersdorp. Anyway, all hell was to pay. So there are benefits. <laughs> okay, any questions? I'm going to carry on talking until <laughs> there are questions. I've got lots to say. Okay, there's a question at the back there. Hi. Sorry. Have you experienced any unintended consequences? from telematics, like um, people skipping robots to not stop um, or, or not have it as an emergency stop? <laughs> can, I, can I answer that question? Thank you, though. So I'm trying, to just, I'm trying to think of what the question exactly is. So it's very difficult to see uh, at a robot whether the robot's red or not um, from the telematics device in the car. Uh, so, we do obviously see driver behavior, what we measure is acceleration, braking, cornering, speeding, cell phone use while you're driving, so we can determine and link those back to accidents. So I'm not quite answering the question, I think the answer is no to that question. I think maybe one of the biggest questions that gets asked is, you know, do you take that information to reject claims? And uh, the company I work for, the answer is no, because uh, in effect, you, I suppose you wouldn't have a product, but it's really about incentivizing the right behavior, and here's my training coming into the play, apologies, um, and really, so it's, it's how do you get the right behavior and, and how do you make sure people embrace the product, so we actually have written in our contract that we don't use the data other than time and place at the time of accident. Any questions for the panel? There's one over there. Correct. Have we got an hour? <laughs> I can tell you. So um, the technology that we use is we obviously use uh, in-app, uh, app on the cell phone that client downloads. We also have a um, unique sensor that gets placed on the windscreen because uh, a lot of a lot of the technology out there, the the complexities of it are you got to try and reduce battery drain, and you also need to try and make sure that you are actually measuring the insured vehicle that's being driven. So we have ways of combating all of that. But you can contact me afterwards. I can show you and tell you. We've got five minutes. We've got, we've got eight minutes. There, sorry, I can't. These lights are so bright. Hi. Sure. 
Um, when I read cognitive mapping, I got the idea we're going to hear something about your personality profile and your driving behavior. Um, Philippa, do you maybe have comments on your personality profiling and driver behavior, or even summary, if you've got some ideas on that, has anybody found a link between that and driving behavior? Uh, Sumri, do you want to go for it first? Or do you want <laughs> okay, um, there's a question over there if Mike can move there. Um, so yes, uh, we're also in the fortunate position that we can link that to one of the things we do on the vitality side is measure a stress test, uh, so how stressed you are as a person. We've also sent various surveys out to our membership base asking them to give a little bit more information about their, their uh, personality. So your A-type, uh, very uh, ambitious people, motivated, driven, orientated, tend to have a little bit worse experience than the more calmer um, people who listen to classical music and meditation in the car, um, which is as expected, but it's something that we're very much looking into and, and developing. And I think one comment I can make, um, Eric, is, is these kind of products are definitely not for me. <laughs> 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 I fall into the category that Linda pointed out of female drivers that drive really bad. Yeah. Uh, she's not lying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for a very interesting presentation. Um, I just have a question to the panel. Um, you touched on what's happening in international markets outside South Africa with respect to telematics. I think you mentioned a company called Progressive. Um, based on that graph you showed us in South Africa where there's a group that believes adoption rate will be 20%, there's a group that believes adoption rate will be 70%. Um, what what are the in terms of overseas like what how how can you just speak a bit more about overseas and what's happening in other markets with respect to how disruptive it's been? I mean I think it was touched on, but I mean how it seemed yeah if you can just expand a bit more on that and what exactly Progressive are doing and what they've done that'd be very interesting. Thank you. States. I mean, it's a very, it's a very big country. Um, so there are quite a number of, of policyholders that are UBR products. But if you look at overall penetration, it's only about one and a half percent. The biggest penetration uh, that we're aware of at the moment is actually in Italy, and and that was driven by a change in legislation with compulsory insurance, where uh, also insurers are forced to give people in this country for the telematics device. Now, Filippo might have more. Uh, uh, insight into this, but my my take on where we are in the South African market is we actually our penetration is is more than what it is in, in, in the states at the moment, and that we close it to somewhere four and a half percent somewhere around there in, in our local market. I think one of the things that has slowed down the states quite a lot is one the privacy concerns, and the other one is the fact that um, motor rates are quite heavily regulated. So in order for you to change your motor rates or um, you know, introduce something new, you have to collect a certain amount of information over uh, like 100,000, I think, uh, policy years in, in some of the states to get the, the regulator to sign off on those rates. So some of those things have made it uh, quite a lot slower to, to take off in some of those countries. Okay, I don't know if you want to add something. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know, the, the issues obviously vary from country to country. Probably one of the key common themes uh, as to why this hasn't sort of taken off sooner is probably the cost. Uh, and, and, and I think that's the biggest thing that's, that's sort of changing at the moment is the cost of these devices and the use of smartphones uh, has driven the cost a lot lower. And that's why we're sort of only now sort of tackling the question, whereas you know, Progressive looked at this 20 years ago with their snapshot product. Yeah, well, maybe just to add from our side, uh, it's less than 2% of, of our clients that choose not to actually have the telematics device. It's all optional. So the people that we, we, we attract really do want it and do want to see how they drive. And we also see that you know, through the app technology, having that information after you take drive each trip, it, it really adds a lot of value and people enjoy interacting, it and interacting with us in, in that manner. And I think also the younger generation, it plays a big role there because everything's about technology. Um, so they, they like that interaction. Hi, um, my question is, is twofold. Firstly, um, is, is, cognitive, is cognitive mapping already used with the telematics device? In other words, um, the various sequence of events that are typical of a hijacking event or, um, or a car being stolen, uh, are those already taken into account in, 
in telematics, that's one part. The second part is, um, um, Annette mentioned that um, that sort of information is perishable. So what sort of real-time feedback do you give back to um, a policyholder or a client that you are actually um, in danger right now? So for example, current tracker systems, they will, if you're driving in a high-risk area, they'll give you a call and say, say, oh, madam, you're driving in a high-risk area, are you okay? Is everything all right? And you also have um, sort of like a, a hijacking button that you can actually press to send off an emergency signal to um, the tracking company. So I guess the question is, is there any real-time feedback that you can actually give to the client as, the only, as an early warning system that something is actually taking place? Um, yes, I can answer. We've got the industry partner um, for confidentiality reasons. I will not um, impart the name. But we have implemented in the past 18 months um, into uh, um, they basically have RFID device and in which we basically that um, that communicates with um, the um, GPS devices and which um, we developed the algorithm to basically check the, even the behavior of the BME devices. Oh, sorry, I said it. <laughs> so we have a partnership with, with mixed telematics. So <laughs> and then um, basically what um, the, so, so um, the, the whole thing is basically that we um, in, in stream, by basically by early warning, um, start seeing patterns and deviation in patterns. So my answer to yes, are we doing it? Um, most definitely for early warning. And um, 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 you, um, the second question, sorry, could you just repeat again? The early warning is then to basically feed back into the um, to, it, into the alarm system. Yeah. Yeah. So we give. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right now we um, we we basically give a message back to. Um, I can't actually import the exact um, details, but we give a information back that's info, um, that's informative about the um, where the where the incident happened, what was the, the type of incident, and all that. So it is in stream; it's real time. There's a question at the back there. Good morning. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been quite a, lob uh, quite a bit of lobbying uh, government to ask for compulsory third-party insurance again. Are there any views around whether there's a viability point at which uh, these technologies could be used for compulsory third-party insurance? Could you, I couldn't hear properly. Uh, the question was about um, using this kind of technology for compulsory third-party motor insurance, because um, the government at the moment is trying to implement, well, there's a lot of talk about trying to implement third-party yeah. um, compulsory insurance. Yeah, I think this is definitely a possibility. I, I do not know quite how to answer this. Yeah. Um, I, I think from our side, Francia, I, I definitely think that it is one of, one of the things, especially as technology that we're looking at here is getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, I think if, you, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said no. It's, it's just, the cost is just too prohibitive. But at, as we started to look more at, at beacons, cell phone technology, those kind of things, I definitely think that, that, it, that it could play a role in that. I mean, the, the case study on that is, of course, Italy. Um, it was just it was exactly what they've done. Um, take one or two final questions. On the floor. Oh, yes, thank you. Sorry. I just want to make the point that I think um, one shortcoming for me of this or an unintended consequence, I don't think aggressive drivers are necessarily bad drivers. <laughs> so I'm like Sumeri and I will never take up this product, but I haven't had a lot of accidents. You know, I've actually none. <laughs> none, no big one. <laughs> so, You're one of my favorite so, um, people. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I mean, so you're losing out good risks probably because I think uh, more importantly still is past claims experience. And, um, and I think people who are maybe scared of driving, who are like driving maybe too slow or whatever. So that's my point. <laughs> Please answer this one. <laughs> it's about um, aggressive drivers who don't have accidents. So um, the first thing is, do you look in the rear view mirror and see the carnage you leave behind you? <laughs> okay. Um, then the other thing that's, that's quite important is, and, and we see this in our data, is you know if you look at high-performance vehicle ratings um, and the, the added... Uh, loadings that high-performance vehicles get. So from our data, we've actually got to the stage now where we can reward those clients and they can earn more points because we can see that due to the nature of the car and to the ability of it, the fact that you accelerate at X G-force in that car versus X G-force in another car, it actually makes you a better driver driving that way in that car. So 
It depends on how quickly you learn to adapt. So, I'll, again, phone me. I'll get you a policy. <laughs> All right. But, um, uh, maybe you, you've just been lucky because I never used to have accidents, right? And I think, and I'm also quite an aggressive driver. But in the last six months, I, I, yeah, I, I've had about seven or eight. <laughs> maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. It's the eyesight. Uh, all right. Follow up question right next door, and then we'll call it a, a day. A question for for all four of you. Actually, it it seems as though the main touch point of telematics with regard to communication with the clients is through a cell phone. Okay, and that seems where it's, it seems to be going that way overseas as, as well. Now, it sounds it, it feels a little bit counterintuitive while you're busy driving. There's a harsh acceleration. You get notified on your phone. You pick it up, and you're like, well. But, <laughs> and you get notified again. Um, have you guys thought about any possible ways of, of going around that? Yeah. Or, or, or any kind of new technology innovation? Yeah. Um, the, the whole new drive to, is to, uh, with augmented reality that your windscreen, your, your, your windscreen, you can still see through it nicely, but it's all these um, um, indicators are coming on your windscreen so that it doesn't actually take away your view, but actually your windscreen is really a computer screen, but it's giving you all warnings um, that is in the environment. So you know, um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a bit futuristic, but um, that is yeah. the... I, mean. um, I think the critical part is you can't do anything that's going to make an accident more likely. So you've got to be very careful in how you disseminate the data and how you interact with the clients. So that's a, obviously a big part of the telematics industry and in, in how to appropriately communicate with clients. Um, are there any closing remarks from the panel? Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your time and enjoy tea. Thanks a lot.